This is 911. What is your Hello? emergency? Yeah, there's yeah, it's a couple guys here, and they're, they're reading comics. I'm sorry, you said there are two men reading well, I, comics? I, mean, I don't know. Well, one of them's reading them, and he's he's telling the other one about them. He's re- reading them, recapping them, reviews. Sir, slow down. about news, too. Oh, God. Don't worry, sir. Stay calm. Help is on the way. Welcome to Gil Reads Comics where I recap and review your favorite comics as I guide my non-comic book reading brother Adam through the world of heroes and villains. Today, we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man issue 2, released July 25th, 2018. This issue was written by Nick Spencer, with art by Ryan Otley. There is an epidemic affecting children everywhere. Comic books, comics everywhere. Avengers, Batman, Wonder Woman, and they're in movies now, too. In the real world, there is no good and evil. Enough! I'm reading comics, and no one's gonna stop me. Adam, we're here to talk about Amazing Spider-Man issue 2 today. But before we get into that, I did want to just mention the artwork in issue one that continues into issue two. Uh, This current run of Spider-Man, the art is being done by Ryan Otley. I'm actually a little bit familiar with his work because he did the art on Invincible, which is a comic book written by Robert Kirkman. You know who that is? The name's familiar. He is the guy that writes Walking Dead. That's what he's most famous for. Uh, Okay. For a long time, he had a comic series called Invincible, which was a superhero comic, but it was one that was... Uh, he he didn't want to go the route of the typical superhero where they do the reboots and crossovers and things like that. So it was one long, continuous story. The status quo changed all the time. Uh, it actually recently concluded. Anyway, it was a great series, and one of the things that stuck out was the artwork because it's sort of a mix between realistic and cartoony at the same time. It strikes a really good balance between the two. Because of the cartoonish nature of it, some of the artwork was very interesting because the series did not shy away from violence. So it was uh, just an interesting way to see some of those things play out. All of that to say that Ryan Otley does a great job of bringing that same sensibility to the Spider-Man series. Uh, A lot of times I focus a lot on the plot and don't comment much on the artwork, so I wanted to make sure before we got into it that I gave Ryan Otley the proper props. (laughs) With that, let's get into issue two. Right from the start, I'll say I loved issue two. I really liked issue one because from a character standpoint, it really resonated emotionally. We talked a lot about that when we discussed issue one. Issue two is great in a different way, from a plot progression standpoint, meaning it's got great superheroics, you'll see when we get to the end of the issue, I can't wait to see what happens next. Which was true last issue, but that was more about the character, what's going to happen with Peter and MJ. This one is back to what's going to happen next from a Spider-Man hero versus villain perspective. Okay, enough build up. You ready to get into issue two, Adam? Absolutely. We start with what I'd sort of call a cold open. You know how a lot of superhero movies or TV shows will start with the hero in a scuffle with a C-list or D-list villain. They'll stop the villain, and it's kind of a you know two-minute scene that doesn't relate too significantly to the rest of the plot. 
That's right. Yeah. They'll just kind of start in the middle of the action. We have one of those here. Spider-Man is facing off against the Ringer and another villain. Who Are you ready for this name? Let's hear it. Man Mountain Marco. Man Mountain Marco? Yeah. And the reason that put such a smile on my face is because, for those of you that don't know, Adam and I do another podcast about the TV show Better Call Saul. And on one episode, a character showed up, and we couldn't remember his name or whether or not we'd seen that character before. When we looked him up, he had a name that just cracked us up every time we said it. (laughs) Adam, what was that character's name? Man Mountain. Exactly. So we have a Better Call Saul Amazing Spider-Man crossover here. Spider-Man is fighting Man Mountain Marco and The Ringer, who are robbing a book fair that advertised that they have some pricey first editions. Spider-Man easily takes him out, and on his way out, he buys uh, Man Mountain Marco and The Ringer a few books, because he (laughs) figures that they're going to have a lot of free time on their hands in prison. The important part of this scene is that when Spider-Man swings away, Man Mountain comments... Wow, he seems like he's in a really positive place. <laughs> it's funny. There seems to be these interesting, uh, like, psychological relationships between the between Spider-Man and the villains. Because in the last episode, uh, or in the last issue, Mysterio was talking about the crimes that he was committing. He's like, yeah, I wanted to try something different. I was in a bit of a rut. <laughs> Yeah, that is one thing that that Nick Spencer is doing, which is hilarious. All these fights with villains that seem insignificant or funny, they always drop these little parcels of character development for us, for Spider-Man. Why do you think Peter is in such a positive place? Because the uh, the ending to last issue was uh, kind of good for him and MJ. And that's exactly right. He says to himself, I'm in such a good mood because all my dreams just came true. And we cut to Peter and MJ in bed together. And they're not spooning. They're actually cuddling, facing each other. So you know this is very intimate. MJ asks Peter how he slept. And he says that he woke up just about every hour during the night to reassure himself that MJ is still there. And anyone that's found themselves in a relationship with somebody where they had doubts about whether or not they could ever actually be with this person, and then unexpectedly they find themselves with that person, can relate to this feeling Peter has, where he's afraid that at any moment he's going to lose her again. You can relate to this, Adam, right? (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Well, this is where I want your help uh, figuring this out. So I'm going to read to you some dialogue and then I'll get your perspective. They're talking about the fact that they're now together and reflecting on how they've been together in the past, they've been through the good times, the bad times, and they had this great bond. And Peter says to MJ, something always got in the way. And MJ responds, well, I guess it's a good thing that's not going to be a problem anymore, right? Sort of implying that Peter's going to give up Spider-Man. She's just joking, though. (laughs) If I was him, I, I wouldn't even, I'd be like, don't even joke about that. Yeah, you shut up. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't say that. <laughs> That'd be like asking me to give up podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely on the same level. Yeah. MJ continues, it's a joke, Pete. Look, here's how I see it, Tiger. We've been given an opportunity here, 
a fresh start, if you will. And sure, maybe the circumstances are a little unusual, terrifying even. But here's the thing. I still love you, Peter. Never really stopped, if I'm being honest. And you? Peter cuts her off. Yeah, yeah, me too. Do they have a chance here? I mean, I read this, and the first thing that comes to mind is, what's really changed? Circumstances are still the same. The thing that tore them apart to begin with, why won't it just tear them apart again? I think there might be some foul play going on in the background that we're not. We're being lulled into a false sense of security. Or Peter is, maybe. You think that this may not work out? I I think I think if it does work out it will not be without its trials because they they got together and are in a good place right now way too fast you know from a from an audience perspective not enough drama Yeah the way I see it there are two things in conflict right now there is the thing which tore them apart and that is the fear that Peter has of MJ being in danger it's the fear that MJ has of Peter being in danger. And then just the strain that it would have put on your relationship if your partner was constantly disappearing to fight crime. That is competing with how has Peter and how have Peter and MJ changed as people? Have they got into a different place in their lives where they can better handle that thing which made this not work the first time? Right now, we're sort of taking it at face value, or we're taking their word for it, that they're different. But do people really change that much? Not that fast. Speaking of people changing, are you familiar with Dr. Kurt Connors? No. Are you familiar with the lizard? Yeah. He looks like a reptile. Exactly. They are. Wait, are you talking about the animal, the lizard? Or the character? <laughs> the character. <laughs> well, Kurt Connors is the human form of the lizard. Why don't you tell us your understanding of who the lizard is? All I know is that he looks like one of those reptilians that the conspiracy people believe run the world. The reptilian elite, which is funny you bring that up, because there is a loose connection to that very concept later in this issue. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I like that. Well, for those of you that don't know, the basics are Dr. Kurt Connors, a professor. He at one point was missing an arm, and I believe he was experimenting on himself to try and grow that arm back. Because what is one of the coolest traits of lizards is if you cut off one of their limbs, it grows back. At least the tail. Oh, is it just the tail? I said at least the tail. I don't know about the others. Huh. He may have had... I mean... Somebody should have told told Dr. <laughs> Kurt Connor. <laughs> like, it's not going to grow your arm back. Uh, he's a doctor. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he knows better than us. Uh, he accidentally turned himself into a giant lizard monster. <laughs> As one does. And at one point, he had a villainous plan to turn all of humanity into lizards. Like out of evil or because he thought people would be better off that way? I think he was misguided. It was one of those misguided villain plots where he thought that we would all be better off. All right, so you can't get too mad at him. Dr. Kirk Connors has invited Peter to his class. When Peter gets there, he sees him in lizard form. He starts freaking out. He starts telling everybody, don't panic. 
he's and then I love this line. He says he's more afraid of you than you are of, and he kind of gets cut off. But the classic line of like, uh, you know, don't yeah. be, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's like he's like a, a a bird stuck in the house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the lizard, he he starts talking. He says, "This is one of my former TAs, Peter Parker." And then Peter says, "Wait." Why are you introducing me, and why are they not getting eaten? So is he has he chosen to live openly as a lizard? <laughs> it turns out that Kurt, there's nothing to worry about here because Kurt has gotten the lizard form under control. Hmm. And I see the look on your face. You're skeptical, but don't worry. He's got a chip on the back of his neck made of adamantium, which is maybe the hardest metal in the, in the Marvel Universe. And if it detects that he even tries... Anything bad or violent, it will paralyze him until he reverts to human form. You think that chip's going to work out? Uh, probably not. Who knows, though? Maybe he'll just stay... I mean, there's no reason he has to become a villain for this run of Spider-Man. That's what I think, because they keep dropping these things that could go wrong. Right? You've got Peter yeah. rooming with a villain, Boomerang. You've got, uh, if you remember, there was an allusion last issue to Doctor uh, Doc Ock running around in a clone of Peter Parker. There's so many things that could go wrong. I don't think they're all going to go wrong. Some of these are red herrings. Yeah, they're just kind of setting up a universe in which villains are everywhere and in some cases not even that big of a deal. My thoughts exactly. Before we move on, I have a question for you. Dr. Kirk Connors. Should he be allowed to teach? Should he be allowed to walk around and function in society if he is such a risk where at any point he could turn into a lizard monster and, you know, eat people? <laughs> well, you don't even have to be a lizard monster to eat people. So, I well, I think, I mean, if he's actually committed crimes, he should be in jail. That said, this chip thing seems to work pretty well. On the other hand, who knows, like, can it prevent him from, from, you know, planning more clever, elaborate plans to commit evil indirectly? So maybe he can teach his students or guide them into doing something that ends up causing, uh, you know, a building to explode or something where he had no direct involvement, but he's manipulating people. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But this is going to stop him in the moment if he's going to go, you know, rip someone's throat out. But it's not going to stop him from saying, hey, uh, why don't you put a bomb in that building? Yeah, and he sounds like a smart guy, so I think he could probably he can probably maintain his evil intentions without physically turning to violence. But putting the chip aside, let's say this was real life. This guy, he, he tells you he's got it under control. Trust me, I'm meditating a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to turn into a lizard. And even if I do, I've got control. Don't worry about it. How do we handle that as a society? I say we put them in, they, in this world. They need a separate kind of institution for people who are dangerous in certain circumstances, uh, but not through any choice of their own. You know, like if he doesn't have control over when he turns into the lizard monster and when he's not a lizard monster, he is moral then I, I think it's not exactly fair to just keep him locked up, but for the sake of 
everyone else's safety. He needs to be under some sort of lockdown. It just doesn't have to be a cruel version of it. It could, you know, it could be one that's just a, he's in isolation a little. I think we execute him. <laughs> if there is even a 1% chance he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. What's that from again? That's from... <laughs> that's Batman talking about it's Bruce Wayne talking about Superman in Batman v Superman one of my favorite lines I haven't even seen that but you've referenced it so many times that it's familiar (laughs) probably not the last time I'll reference that on this podcast Uh, no but in reality um, I agree with you that he should be in an institution somewhere uh, not to punish him but just to keep society safe until we are 100% sure that he can be out in the open uh, you know, without without harm, and there has to be a way to constantly monitor him. But we've got this chip, and that seems to be working well. Why did he invite Parker to his class? It's because he wants Peter to join the class, hmm. and he has an opportunity for him. What about his uh, plagiarism? Well, that, that that comes up, and Kirk Connors, he knows Peter very well. So he, he understands that there's got to be more to this. He says that and uh, just accepts that. Whatever happened, it probably wasn't Peter's fault, and he just he just knows him well enough to know that he didn't do anything wrong, which is nice to see. Yeah, I like especially this guy. after the Aunt May debacle last issue. He's getting more love from from Mister Lizard Monster than he is from Aunt May. <laughs> that is true. Uh, speaking of villains, we cut to Taskmaster and Black Ant who are in the school disguised as janitors, so I guess they have some tech that lets them appear to be somebody besides who they actually are. But when they shut off the tech, these two janitors turn into Black Ant, basically looks like an Ant-Man type character, and Taskmaster, who sort of looks Grim Reaper-ish. He has a skeletal face. Based off the name Taskmaster, I want you to guess what this villain's ability is. Hmm... Can he make people do things? No. But I think you're going to love this. It's such a cool power. He can mimic the physical movement of anyone he sees. Like photographic memory, this is called photographic reflexes. So he can watch a kung fu movie. He knows kung fu. Oh, that is cool. And it's debated whether this is a super ability or just just a human maybe there could be somebody in the real world that has this power hmm interesting i mean you being from you have some medical experience is there any reality to this ability well i know the brain has what people call mirror neurons which kind of model the actions of other people that you're watching uh i don't know exactly how they work or what their purpose is but I think maybe he has highly developed mirror neurons so that he can observe just an instance or two of some behavior and just integrate it into his own being. That's my theory. So this is possible in real life. You have it. You heard it here. This is a real thing. <laughs> there could be a taskmaster running around. Uh, so he's become in just a uh, – he's a big – he's a great fighter, right? He's got kung fu, any other martial arts, just because – and he can – the other thing he can do is if he sees somebody fighting, he knows their style immediately and then knows how to counter it. So he is a force to be reckoned with. The only person he has a hard time with is Deadpool because Deadpool psychologically is so messed up 
that it just it just like, short circuits Taskmaster's ability to <laughs> mimic him. I like that. And then Black Ant. Who is Black Ant? This is why this is one of the reasons why I love comic books so much because there's so much to unpack with this one character. He is a life model decoy of Eric O'Grady, who is the third Ant Man. Do you know what a life model decoy is? Hmm. I'm gonna guess it's like one of those body doubles, like what Saddam Hussein has or had. Close. They are robots with skin made of a rare metal called epidurium, created by Shield whenever they need to replicate a, a person. And at one point, he was in the Illuminati. Ooh. Okay, now you have my attention. That was the lizard uh, elite connection, by the way. I just figured the whole concept of an underground secret society that's controlling everything, lizard people, kind of similar to the Illuminati. I like that. They are here to steal something, and they've been hired by somebody. We don't know who or what, but we'll find out shortly. We're back to Peter and Kurt Connors, and we're going to hear Kurt's pitch. Peter has been fired, so he's got time on his hands, right? So Kurt says, I want you to join my class. You are a brilliant person, and we are here literally just doing science for science's sake which is what Peter and Dr. Kirk Connors have always talked about doing. It's like a dream come true. Which, by the way, on this point, did you know that Peter Parker was like a brilliant super genius? It's not something they play up a lot in the movies. Yeah, I knew that. I, well, I mean, I guess I can't point to anything that specific in the movies other than just that he's portrayed as sort of a brainiac and he goes to Columbia University and he he built the web shooter so I think all of those things kind of combine to just make the the audience just think of him as a genius. But I guess it was it's not directly stated out loud, I suppose. This is uh, something that I think a lot of superhero movies struggle with is these softer skills that are very important in the comics that come out through dialogue, inner monologue. They don't get put as on display in the movies. I think for Spider-Man, it's his absolute genius and brilliance. Then you've got characters like Batman. He's called the world's greatest detective. But in the movies, can you point to anywhere where that was on display? In the movies, it just seems more like a badass who can fight really well. Yeah, that's more shown in like the video games, the detective side. Kurt tells Peter, before you make your decision, I want to show you something. And he shows him the isotope genome accelerator. Mmm... What do you think that does? I bet that makes people mutate. The accelerator is often used to transmute characteristics of one organism onto another. What we're trying to do here is reverse engineer the effect. So if we isolate and divide hybrid properties, that's Dr. Kirk Connors talking. Basically, he's trying to combine the lizard-human side of him or whatever and cure himself is my impression. Hmm. And his university just allows him to do this? Yeah, it's, uh, it's for science. Oh, yeah. And what do you think, what's going to happen if they tell him no? Uh, he, he'll, he just won't do it, and he'll go back to teaching. <laughs> He's going to rip that chip out of his neck and go lizard. <laughs> yeah. So Peter, he's aware of this machine. In fact, they show a flashback where this machine was involved in the spider that bit Peter and gave him his powers to begin with. 
Well, now we know what Taskmaster and Black Ant are here for, right? They want to steal that accelerator. They bust in. Lizard tries to stop them, but the chip prevents him from doing anything violent. So he is powerless to prevent Taskmaster and Black Ant from stealing the accelerator. Hmm. Peter wants to change into Spider-Man, but there's no closet, nothing for him to hide behind. So he uses his science. He mixes a couple chemicals together, causes this sort of chemical explosion. There's a green mist everywhere. And out of that green mist comes Spider-Man. There's a scuffle, some great quips, good back and forth between Peter and Taskmaster, Black Ant. But ultimately, of course, he stops them. Here's where things get crazy. Spider-Man says, Guess I'll be getting along since it looks like everyone is okay. Well, almost everybody. Here, pal, let me give you a hand. Hey, wait a sec. I know you. Cut to, who is Spider-Man helping up off the ground? Hmm. Take a guess. Harry Osborn. Oh. <laughs> no no spider-man is helping peter parker up from the ground hey that, there's doc ock <laughs> spider-man says i know you you're peter parker and then peter who just got helped up says and you you're spider-man with a big smile on his face what the hell is going on wait they're both acting as though this is not a big deal <laughs> right and, and you said Doc Ock that was my first thought too but that doesn't make any sense because he created the green mist and then Spider-Man came out of it so I think that this accelerator like duplicated Peter Parker uh, this reminds me of the fly what the fly yeah expand on that comparison Uh, it's not exactly right but you remember Jeff Goldblum tries to make a teleportation device, but he ends up integrating his genome with that of a fly? Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that, even though in this case, he, uh, Spider-Man like splits in two, maybe. And I wonder if maybe, is there anybody under that mask? Maybe he has separated into Peter Parker and then the essence of Spider-Man, who has now become an independent you know, actor. Mm. You know, <laughs> you know <there's... laughs> that sounds Wait, far Adam, based, based off your scientific knowledge, could an isotope genome accelerator do that? You bet. That's that's one of its uh, main selling points. Uh, so th this is why up front I said that I'm on the edge of my seat with this cliffhanger because any one of our theories have uh, a Wait, few issues. Wait, is this the end? Them. That's the end of the issue. This keeps happening. I don't know when the end happens. <laughs> I need to get better at saying, by the way, the comic ends with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, well, cause, no, because I was on the edge of my seat. I was, like, waiting. I needed to know what happens next. I mean, yeah, none of our theories really make sense here. I don't think it could be Doc Ock. That doesn't make sense. And also, Doc Ock wears a different costume than the traditional Spider-Man costume. So we know he's not in the costume, and I'm assuming that the Parker we see is truly Peter Parker because of the green mist. But didn't they say that there's a a, spider, uh, a Peter Parker clone out there? They did. With That's the Doc Ock clone yeah. of Peter Parker. I just find it too unlike Like, they would mention that, then show Spider-Man and Peter Parker on screen at the same time. 
and yet that Peter Parker or one of those two people wouldn't be the clone that they alluded to? There'd be a but third what thing was out the there. Point, what was the point of the of creating the distraction of the smoke so Peter could change? I mean, clearly he was saying I need to change into Spider-Man. I can't do that here because there's nowhere to hide. So he created the smoke diversion. What was the point of doing that if the other Spider-Man was going to swoop in and save the day? Wait a minute. Okay, maybe I got mixed up. So the Spider-Man that was actually doing saving the day there was not the Peter Parker who said, hold on, I got to change? No, I think it was that Peter Parker. I'm refuting your theory that there's a clone involved in this scene. Then who is the other one? Who's the Peter Parker at the end? <laughs> well, i that's what I'm saying. I think that Peter Parker and Spider-Man have been split, and there's actually a, a Spider-Man. Oh, you know what? You might be right, because it's not, like Spider-Man is basically all the genetic enhancements that happened to Peter after he got bit by the spider, the radioactive spider. So if you could separate those out into and and basically splice them in into uh I don't know though wouldn't those wouldn't that need to be inserted into another human or like another organism I don't know <laughs> I mean this is this this is where I think particle accelerator that stuff just does weird things right smashes molecules together and then quantum weird science stuff happens I think that we're looking at some weird supernatural science stuff. This is like a Schrodinger's cat situation. Yeah. He's Peter Parker and Spider-Man simultaneously. And they've been split in two, is what I think. Hmm. I, my brain hurts. This is why I love what Nick Spencer is doing here. You've got a series that's been running for 800 issues. How do you come up with something to keep our interest, do something different, yet stay true to the character? He found a way. Yeah. We just got to see if he sticks to the landing. Right. Hey, sticks. Uh. I like this, though, because it, part of me, you know, again, as as we all know, I'm I'm not very deep into comics, but I do have an appreciation for them. But I, it's hard for me to take them that seriously. And the same is true of, of mo- comic book movies, just because I know that nothing truly bad can really happen to the heroes. Like, they're not just going to end the run of Spider-Man, right? So they got to get me intrigued somehow, and something like this is perfect because it's really making me... I, I like trying to think of the mechanics about how this world operates. Yeah. yeah I it, it really... If you're into science fiction and you love taking a crazy idea and then playing it out in the real world, taking it seriously, then comics are ripe with that. That's what I've been saying for years, trying to tell people you got to read comics. It's the only place you can get cool storytelling like this. You get a bit of it in anime, too, which I've also recently discovered. Uh, but, yeah, great issue. Um, we continue to see the developing relationship between Peter and MJ, so we get a little bit of that. But now we're also getting some of the great superhero antics that we love in Spider-Man. So can't wait to see where this goes next. Adam, you probably think we're done, right? I thought so. I have a segment I'd like to introduce, uh, at least for the episodes where we talk about Spider-Man. You know that Spider-Man, what is he known for, Adam? During fights, what does he like to do? He likes to shoot webs at people. And what happened? What does he? Oh, oh, and he makes witty banter. Quips. Quips, yeah, yeah. 
I've picked out three of my favorite quips from this issue, and I want you to tell me your number one favorite of those three. Okay, I like this idea. Number one. After Peter gives Man Mountain Marco and the Ringer some books, they seem sort of surprised. Spidey says, don't mention it. And if you get paroled, maybe we can book club it. I'll bring brownies. You just got to promise no board robbery homicide shenanigans. <laughs> I like that. Number two. Homicide shenanigans. Yeah, go ahead. You want to react to that first one? You like the homicide shenanigans? Yeah, I think that's funny. Number two. MJ wants to get out of bed and get the day started. Peter wants to stay, and she says, Nice offer, champ, but I'm pretty certain there's no coffee in this bed. Pete responds, Maybe you just haven't looked hard enough. I found a lifesaver once. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that one's going to be hard to beat. I also like that that quip uh, does not take place during a a hero-villain fight. That That was just them hanging out. (laughs) <laughs> See, these quips are not all going to be what you expect. Yeah. This third one doesn't even involve Spider-Man. Hmm. Well, after Black Ant and Taskmaster bust into the classroom, Black Ant says, Pencils down, pal. And then Taskmaster says, Test is over. Black Ant jumps back in and says, You failed, by the way. Your parents are disappointed and wondering why you couldn't be more like your cousin. She got into brown. (laughs) That's pretty good. All right. And wait, before you say your number one pick. Number two, the lifesaver. I thought you'd like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because that's something that sounds like it, it probably actually happened to him. So so it's the realism that gets you. You you heard the first one and you thought that's not accurate. They're not going to start a book club. <laughs> yeah, I can see right through that. But this next the the lifesaver one it's like I bet he did find one and he probably ate it. <laughs> when I was like 4 or 5, I was up in a we used to call this place the room over garage because it was a room located over the garage and it didn't serve any particular purpose. <laughs> I was up there and I found this little piece of candy. I think it was a lifesaver in the closet. It had probably been there for five years, maybe even since before I was born. <laughs> I never told anybody this. I I popped it in my mouth and I ate it, and it was delicious. <laughs> wow. That's why you ended up the way that you are. Comic or comic-related news. Adam. Yeah. This Friday, do you know what movie's coming out? Hmm. Comic book movie, spin-off, Sony, not Marvel, was going to be R-rated. Now it's going to be PG-13. Venom. They Venom. claim it was never... Venom. Venom. Coming to a theater near you this Friday. Are you going to see it? Eventually. But probably not. Unless unless it gets, like, ab- unless it gets rave reviews... I probably won't see it until it's out of theaters. Have you seen the trailers? I've seen the trail. I've seen some trailers. Yeah. And what's your take? What's your reaction? I think I, I think uh, Venom is well designed. Like I like the way his his face, like especially where the mouth is. It's like all these black strands of of uh, what would you call it? I want to say goo? goo. Yeah. I don't know if there's a term for it. And it's kind of uh, like his flesh looks like alive. 
So that's cool and well well done. I remember there being other aspects of the trailer that were less promising, but I don't really remember what they were. I, I pretty much agree. I think that Venom has an awesome look. They definitely get it more right than Spider-Man 3 did. But a few things that really concerned me about this movie, and I think most fans will agree with this, is that they've said over and over that this is not in the MCU, the Marvel Universe, and Spider-Man will not be in it. And of course, Spider-Man has always been so core to the Venom storyline, especially when it comes to Eddie Brock as Venom. I believe that Venom's hatred of Spider-Man was inherited from Eddie Brock. But we can live with that, right? You can make any storyline a good movie if you just execute it the right way. So I have an open mind about it. And I will say, too, the director of this movie, same guy that made Zombieland. Mm, I loved Zombieland. Me, too. And I think that sensibility could very well work for this type of a story where you want it to be... Uh, action-oriented, elements of horror, but you want it to be fun and probably funny. Yeah, because, like, Zombieland had a lot of... Those movies, like what you just described, with that combination of stuff, has those kinds of movies have a lot of rewatch value to me. Because it's, it, it's like you, you sit down and watch it, and it's just you just feel like you're having fun the whole time. Uh, so if Venom is like that, then I'm count me in. I'm crossing my fingers, but I will say, to be 100% honest, the trailers, to me, make this look like a somewhat generic sci-fi action movie, whereas when it was first announced and they said it was going to be a sci-fi horror, they I, I feel like I remember them implying it was going to be R-rated, even if the producers now say that was never on the table. But when I heard the original description, I thought this was going to be in the same class of superhero movie as something like Logan, where it doesn't feel like a superhero movie. It feels like its own thing. Hmm. It doesn't look like they went that direction. That doesn't mean it can't be great in its own right, but I'm now going in a bit more skeptical than I would have if they stuck to what I thought was the original plan. That makes sense. One one other th- concern I had, and this might just be because, uh, you know, Tom Hardy as Bane in uh, Batman, I could barely understand what he was saying, which I know everyone says that, uh, but it was tr- it's true. And I could also barely understand what he was saying in the trailer for Venom. And Spider-Man, I will stop you with my black goo. <laughs> Uh, I I don't want to say anything else because I wanted that to be the last word. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I could barely understand him in the trailer, and I don't know what it. What is with the way Tom Hardy talks? Is he is he from somewhere? Is he is he not? Is he from England? I believe he's from England. But that's not like a British accent. It just sounds like like he's too quiet and he doesn't move his jaw when he talks. <laughs> it doesn't move his jaw. Yeah, like, 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 I'm talking, I'm talking about moving my jaw, and this is kind of what Tom Hardy sounds like, at least in terms of incomprehensibility. Hey, Spider-Man, check out my new movie, Venom. <laughs> yeah, well, so having said all that, you and I both have an open mind about it, uh, you know, no promises, but I would say if it cracks a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, I'll see it this weekend. If not... Yeah, I might wait a bit and see it later on. Yeah, that works. Hey, just for fun, let's place bets on where do you think it lands uh, Rotten Tomatoes-wise. I'm going to go with 61. 
just over the fresh line. I'll go with 34. I, I would, if anyone is trying to decide who to go with, go with Gil. Well, it's a it's a tough call because you're you're the smart one, but I've got all the comic book knowledge and the movie knowledge. If if only we could use the isotope machine, <laughs> the accelerator, <laughs> and and combine some of our abilities here. I'm Gil, and I read comics. As our world hangs in the balance, two heroes have been charged with one simple mission. Recap and review comic books. On today's episode, we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man issue one. Only problem is, one of them has never read a comic book in his life. You've never read one of the comics? No. Wow, okay. I've seen, I've, I've seen the physical, I've seen a physical book before, but I just looked at the cover. But don't worry, Gil has done the research, and he'll help them along the way. Oh yeah, by the way, Peter Parker, he's Spider-Man. Okay. The drama, because we need those stories to get through the day, through the hard times. This is my story, the one I play in my head while everything goes wrong. The action, he sees him in lizard form, he starts freaking out. He starts telling everybody, Don't panic! The, uh... Spider-Man, I will stop you with my black boo. Uh, I'm not sure what that was, but... Hey, there's movie news, too. Venom. Venom. Coming to a theater near you this Friday. Are you gonna see it? Eventually. Gil Reads Comics. Available in the Apple Podcasts app or any other podcast app today. Just search... Gil Reads Comics. That's G-I-L Reads Comics. See the show notes for a link.